You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up dubious advice and only the finest in TV and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. (laughs) As usual, our disclaimer, Rafer, you and I are not real therapists, but we are real TV and movie critics. So shall we get to it, Rafer? Yes. I'll start with our first letter. It's from who else but Emily. Oh, we haven't heard from Emily in a little yes. while. Have we? It's been a couple weeks. I know. We had a, we had a dearth of Emily's there for a little <laughs> while. Um, Emily's back. And Emily says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, my boyfriend and I have been together for a little over three years through the rocky days of my quarter-life crisis, the pandemic, and other big ups and downs. He's always supportive and kind. My friends and family love him. And on paper... He's just about everything I've ever said I wanted in a partner. But for some reason, I just don't feel that thing for him that I want to feel. Our initial period of intoxication only lasted a few weeks, and ever since, I've mostly stayed with him because he's so perfect, not because I'm in love with him. There's absolutely nothing wrong with him, and sometimes I wish there was, so that I'd have an excuse to end things. I find myself getting short-tempered and petty with him at times, I think because subconsciously I want us to have a big blow-up that would force us to go our separate ways. Am I being crazy? Should I just be grateful I'm with such a great guy and learn how to appreciate him? Or should I find a way to be brave and break up with him, even though he's the best boyfriend I've ever had? Ooh, wow, Emily... I am sorry for both you and for your boyfriend here. I really, really am. It sucks to be with someone when you've lost that loving feeling. And it sucks to be on the other end of that, too. I I think most of us have been on both ends of that. Uh, And and I'm sorry that you're going through that right now. And um, I'm just going to say the answer to your question in my mind is break up with him. Ouch. Yes, break up with him. Because, frankly, what's on paper isn't what keeps a relationship going as far as if you if you want to feel all those things that you want to feel paper only does so much there's also all of the intangibles there are the mysteries there are uh, things that get our motors going and not because they're the perfect thing on paper and yep. 
you don't need to have a big blow up to break up. You don't have to have fights. You don't have to go fisticuffs. You don't need any of that stuff to break up. It's a good enough reason to break up that you don't want to be there anymore. If there's no desire in you to feel those things, to fight for those things, to bring back those feelings of those first few weeks together, then don't stay with him anymore. Set yourself free and set him free. That's my advice. But Rafer, I can't tell how you feel about this. You you look like you may or may not agree with me here. Well, I'm certainly not hearing a lot of wishy-washiness here. It's not this this letter writer is not saying, gee, I just don't know how I feel, or I don't know, maybe I could grow to love this person. She's saying, I'm not in love with him. It's mm-hmm. it's quite clear. Uh this person yes. knows very clearly, very decidedly what she's feeling. She's not waffling. She's not unsure. She's not, Mm -hmm. she doesn't feel like, oh, I could be convinced one way or the other. She, She doesn't love him, period. And I will say, I think for that reason, I'm with you, Kristen. I think, oh, I think you gotta break up with that guy. I mean, I, I, you know, be one thing if this were the pre wedding jitters which I think happens a lot to people, right? Oh my God, is this the one? Am I really going to do this? I can't do this. And then you have like a brief <laughs> freak out. You have an affair. You run away. You break up. You know what I mean? You have a one night stand with somebody and then whatever, or any number of kind of blow it up situations, um, scenarios. And, but then you kind of come back and you realize, yes, this is the person. I feel, I feel like I know a lot of people who have been through these kind of um, cold feet situations before a wedding and I think I know people who have fallen for someone that they initially weren't that attracted to necessarily, but but then fell in love with that person and then became attracted to them. I'm just I'm just not hearing any of that here. I'm hearing I'm hearing a very clear expression of feelings, which is there aren't any. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I believe you when you say he's the best boyfriend you've ever had. Your family and friends sure. love him. I believe that he treats you kindly and with respect. And I believe he checks all those boxes. Maybe he's the right height sure. for you or the right hair color, the right educational attainment. Maybe he's all these things you always said you wanted. But the fact that you don't feel anything is the major issue here, just to echo what you were saying, Rafer. If you're not feeling it, And you don't want to feel it. Sometimes we don't feel things for a while for somebody. We go through our slumps in a relationship. But there's that part of us that says, I want to go back to that. I want to feel those things again. I'm going to fight for that. But it doesn't sound like you want to fight for any of that, Emily. It sounds like you don't love him. You just want to get him to dump you. Yeah. You're trying to be petty here. A classic. You're trying to get him to pull the trigger because Understandable. you don't want to. Very natural. Yeah. You don't want to have to break up with this guy who you can't list a reason for breaking up with. But here's the reason. You don't love him. Rafer and I both said that. Yeah. And that's a good enough reason. It doesn't have to be because he's terrible. It doesn't have to be because he cheated or betrayed you. It can really just be because you don't love him. That's enough. So, Kristen, what are we going to recommend to to Emily? All right. I am going to recommend a 2016 movie from Damien Chazelle. You've prescribed a Damien Chazelle movie on the show before, Uh, Whiplash. Yes. And uh, he's perhaps even more famous for the movie La La Land from 2016. Of course. And I'm sure a lot of you out there have already seen La La Land, but if you haven't, La La Land stars Ryan Gosling as Seb, 
and Emma Stone as Mia. He's an aspiring musician. She's an aspiring actress. They're both obviously gorgeous. Yes. And they're both pursuing their creative dreams in Hollywood with lots of hopes and lots of setbacks. And on the surface, they look absolutely perfect for each other. They dance in perfect synchronization. They play off of each other so beautifully. And after a couple of irritating first impressions, there's absolutely so much chemistry between the two, at least in the beginning. But that chemistry soon fades and it becomes clear something's just not clicking anymore and it doesn't matter that they seem perfect for each other. Here's a clip. All right. I remember you. And I'll admit I was a little curt that night. Curt? Okay, I was an asshole. I can admit that. Okay. But requesting Iran from a serious musician is just, it's too far. My lord, did you just say a serious musician? I don't think so. Can I borrow what you're wearing? Why? Because I have an audition next week. I'm playing a serious firefighter. So you're an actress. I thought you looked familiar. Have I seen you in anything? Uh, the coffee shop on the Warner Brothers lot. That's a classic. Oh, I see. Yeah. You're a barista. And I can see how you could then look down on me from all the way up there. I'm done. Next set. He doesn't, I don't, he doesn't tell me what to do. He just told you what to I do. I know, he, I let him. What's your name? Mia. Mia. Guess I'll see you in the movies. Christian, I think I was among the two or three people in America who was not that crazy about La La Land. No, really? Yeah. yeah. So it's, am I the other one? Because oh, is that right? <laughs> Were you not that crazy about it? Because I thought I was one of the two to three people who was not crazy about La La Land. It's you and me. <laughs> we destroyed the Rotten Tomatoes score alone. Uh, no, I, I want to say this. I did not hate it by any means. I liked it. But I was not as bowled over by it as I think everybody else was. I thought it had a lot of great things to be said for it. I think there were some things that didn't quite work for me. I won't, I won't, I don't want to knock it because I do think actually for this listener, it's a great recommendation. And most people I think tend to fall in love with this movie. Yes. Yes. So that's why I'm prescribing it. I'm not prescribing it because this was my favorite movie of 2016 or even my favorite movie of that particular week in 2016. It was not. <laughs> it was not. But You may have liked this less than I did. <laughs> I might have. But but I do think that for you, Emily, it's it's definitely worth watching. What we see is that Seb is not a bad person. Mia is not a bad person. Again, I want to reiterate, on paper, they look pretty much perfect for each other. But again... We're not just made of paper, and we see that with these two. We see the ways that being perfect for each other is not enough. You have to have those feelings, too. You have to want to keep those feelings alive. And without giving spoilers, I'll just say we see what happens when people don't want to keep those feelings alive. So that's all I'll say about it. But I do think that uh, it's worth checking out, Emily. And I do also think it's time to break up with your boyfriend. I would agree. Uh, and 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 once again, uh, uh, Emily. Even though uh, Kristen and I might be a little lukewarm on the movie, again, everybody I know just loved this thing, including my wife. Uh, just everyone I know thought it was just great. So yes, yeah, I think I think that's a good recommendation. Thank you, uh, Rafer. I'm curious about what you're going to prescribe, though. You know, I'm going to prescribe a movie that I I sort of never thought I would have a chance to prescribe on this podcast, uh, but then. 
you know, we got this letter and I was kind of sitting around racking my brains and I, it suddenly kind of hit me. I'm going to prescribe one of my favorite overlooked gems uh, from 1997, going back a ways. It's called She's So Lovely by Nick Cassavetes, written by John Cassavetes, his dad. Do you know <gasps> this movie? Really? No, but you know I love some John Cassavetes. I think we've talked about um, Shadows more than once, just me and you, Rafer, over drinks sure. before. Yeah, I'm definitely a John Cassavetes fan, but I got to confess, I don't know this movie. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about it, um, and I'll tell you a little bit of the back the backstory on this, which is, um, well, you know what? Let me tell you the story first, and then we can talk about the Cassavetes uh, sort of pedigree afterwards. So it, it's it's about a woman named Maureen, played by Robin Wright Penn, and her boyfriend, Eddie, who is played by, you guessed it, Sean Penn. And they're this kind of, I don't know if you'd call them like a Bonnie and Clyde couple. They're maybe more like a Sid and Nancy couple. They're, they're both like a mm. couple of alcoholics <laughs> living in a flop house in the city, and they're they're in love that the way the way that teenagers are in love, which is to say they're kind of full of crap and they're like <laughs> irritating and they're drunk and their relationship is all drama and self-destruction. And I, you know, I'd, I'd kill anyone who hurt you kind of stuff. And um, and it's kind of awful. And, you know, Maureen's pregnant and she's just smoking like a chimney and just drinking in bars all day. And Eddie seems a bit. He seems unstable. He seems like he's got more than he's more than just kind of a, a a crazy drunk. He seems like maybe he's got actual mental illness. And sure enough, he finally goes off one day, shoots a guy, ends up in a psych ward. He's gone. He's out of Marine's life, which seems to be the best thing. And he's gone for 10 years. 10 years later, Marine has gone straight. She is clean. She is sober. She's married to a pretty wealthy guy named Joey. Uh, played by John Travolta, kind of a counter... What? Yeah. John Travolta? Yes. Kind of a countercast <laughs> there. What is he doing in this movie? I know, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you kind of wouldn't expect him to play this part, but he does. Um, he's this, you know, kind of wealthy, suburban, Connecticut kind of guy. Um, they're married. He loves her. They've got three children, one of whom is Eddie's, but Joey uh, is a doting father to all of them. And they live out in the suburbs in a nice neighborhood. And one day, Eddie gets out of the psych ward and he shows up. And he says to Maureen, I'm here to take you back. Let's go. Here's a clip. Give me his number. I'm going to talk to this fucking guy. Just a little bit. I'm just going to talk to him a little bit. Joe, I love this guy, okay? I love you too, but I love him more. And, and oh, I told man. you that. Come on, I'm happy with you now. Don't rock the boat. Don't rock the boat? Oh, that's too uptown for me, honey. I, I can't live like that. What are you saying? That I love you. Thank you for taking me out of the fucking gutter. But I love my first husband. I love him more. So, so please don't call him because you might rock the boat. The fuck is that? Rock what? Rock whose boat? I'll see you fucking boat. This is a house. Hey, hey. I'm the guy you married, remember? You had a smile. You wore a veil. You said the vows. You know, we didn't have those babies by osmosis, you know. Something happened. And I rocked the boat then. I got in. You are such a crude asshole. I hate you. What's going on? Your mother keeps talking about a boat. Oh, Rafer. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I need to see this movie, first of all. It's so good. And second of all, I need to hear more about the whole Cassavetes thing here. So like I said, the screenplay is by John Cassavetes, but this is a posthumous Cassavetes production. He was already dead for maybe close to 10 years um, by the time that his son, Nick Cassavetes, found this script and filmed it. 
And, you know, this script has just kind of been lying around. So he directs it, films it with this amazing cast. Uh, you've also got um, Harry Dean Stanton. James Gandolfini is in there. Uh, Gina Rollins, John Cassavetti's wife. It's not a perfect movie. It has some flaws, but it has just haunted me ever since I saw it, which is, what, 25 years ago now. Um, it never goes where you think it's going to go. You know, that the opening half is kind of funny and a little bit weird and a little bit kind of keeps you on your toes that these two are so manic. And then the second half seems to be kind of a comedy drama. The dialogue's a little wacky, a little zippy. You know, Joey pulls a gun, uh, which really changes the tenor of things. And the whole thing's a little like overcranked. So you kind of think, well, it's a comedy. This is the, like, it's a, and that's how it was billed, like a, a nutty romantic comedy. What's going to happen? It's, <laughs> it's kind of cute and wacky. And obviously you think there's only one way this movie can end and it doesn't. And it's just a Ooh. jaw dropper. And when I saw it, people in the audience were pissed. They were <laughs> so, they were so mad that this cute little movie had ended like that and they did not think it was cool. And I just sat there with my mouth on the floor thinking I had seen something really daring and that just like, just, just whacked my head around. And I, I don't want to say too much more. Uh, you know, again, you got two guys, a woman, a family and a gun. And this, it seems like there's only one obvious choice for this movie to end, and it just doesn't end that freaking way. Wow. And that's why I'm going to recommend this without saying much more. That's why I'm going to recommend it to Emily. Wow. And yet it has that title, She's So Lovely. <laughs> I know. I know, because you could tell the studio was like, what are we going to do with this movie? <laughs> How are we going to market this to people and get them to come out and see it? What if we put a funny title on it? Oh we put the Third Eye Blind song on the trailer. Maybe that'll do it. Um, it should be but, called oh Psychopath Love Triangle, it sounds like. Right. <laughs> but she's so lovely. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. No, it's 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 really, it's really, you know, who knows? Uh, Emily, I hope that you're not pissed off the way the audience was pissed off. But um, I love this movie and uh, I recommend it to people over the years. And I don't know. We'll see what you think. <laughs> so once again, those picks are She's So Lovely from Rafer and from me, La La Land. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But first, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. You can be like the quote-unquote Emily whose letter we just responded to. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's Facebook.com slash groups slash RaferandKristen. When we're back, we tackle a letter from someone who is afraid of being murdered in her sleep. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. 
Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Kristen, we're back with our second letter of the week. Yes. And a very <laughs> a very unusual letter it is. Will you read this one? It is. I love this letter. It's from Carrie, or she's asked us to call her Carrie. Carrie yes. writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, when I am home alone, I can't sleep well at night because I am paranoid that somebody will come and kill me while I'm sleeping. I know in my head that it's crazy, but I've had this fear since I was a child. If I live in an apartment, I can sleep just fine because there are other people close by. However, when I'm in a house, I have these terrible thoughts and have trouble sleeping. I even go through escape plans in my head for what might happen if someone tries to enter the bedroom. I did get a dog a few years ago, but she is no help as she is just as paranoid as I am. In fact, sometimes she'll hear a noise while we're sleeping and jump up so I end up waking up and getting even more worried about what she might have heard. The only way I cope is by staying up as late as I can to get extra sleepy. Then I tell myself over and over that it is an irrational fear and statistics indicate that I'm going to be just fine. Once the sun rises again, I'm okay. This isn't a constant problem as I live with my husband, but whenever he goes out of town, I end up sleepless again. Oh, my God. The dog. The dog. (laughs) This is a terrible choice of dog. I love dogs. I just got to say, I love dogs. I love all dogs. I don't mean to make it sound like your dog is terrible, but this dog is clearly not helping the matter at all. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, I don't know what to say about this. Uh, A couple things trouble me. (laughs) <laughs> I want to hear what's troubling you about it. Well, tell us, Rafer. What's troubling? A the dog. Why did you get a dog that is like that? Why? Or or did or did you <laughs> did did you Carrie turn the dog into a dog that is paranoid the way you are? You got to wonder on that one. Oh, I have read that it's very common for people to inadvertently put their personalities on their dogs. I, like exactly, happy-go-lucky people tend to have more happy-go-lucky dogs. Aggressive people tend to have more aggressive dogs. Sure, suspicious I, people tend to have more suspicious dogs. So, ooh, that's a good question, Rafer. I think that's totally right. The other, the other question I wonder about, or the other thing that makes me wonder here is, Carrie, you're married, but we don't hear about that until the very last sentence of your of your letter. <laughs> Uh, what what's I just I'm not trying to like question your marriage or anything, but I'm just kind of wondering like this is a letter that that this is a letter that sounds like it's from a single person until we get to the end. We realize that you have a husband. And so what what's what's happening there? Is, is he is he out of town a lot? Is he travel? Does he travel a great deal? Um, is he just not being any help to you? I'm just kind of wondering because it surprised me to hear at the end that you were married. <laughs> Also, how does your husband feel about that dog? Um, I, I speak for husbands around the country when I say this. Um, anyway, listen, I'm not trying to um, I'm not trying to blame Carrie or or cast any suspicions on her, but I'm just saying I, it, there are some things in this letter that raise some questions for me. Kristen, what what do you make of this? Well, Rafer, I'm just going to confess something to you and the listeners here and now. Okay, I I kind of also have this fear. You do a little bit. I know it's crazy. I don't have it in apartments. Uh, I 
feel the same way as Carrie here that as long as I live in an apartment building, I feel safe. But if you put me into, let's say, a suburban house or a country house all by myself, I am terrified. I feel like any second now, somebody could kill me. And what is that sound outside? Oh my God, I'm about to be murdered, even though it's like a branch hitting the window or something and it's windy or, you know. Sure. It's really nothing. Like Dean and I, when we went on our honeymoon, we went to Dollywood. Oh yeah. But there was a night or two that we spent in the Great Smoky Mountains during our honeymoon where we stayed in these hot tub cabin hotels, which I was really excited about. Uh, Sounds great. Yeah. There were these little wooden cabins, log cabins that had hot tubs on the front porch. There were six cabins and they were very far spread out from each other. So you were at your cabin. You didn't see anybody else at any other cabin. And if I was sitting in that hot tub and Dean went inside to, let's say, use the bathroom or get another bottle of champagne, I would hear branches breaking. I would hear leaves rustling. (laughs) I was certain that when he returned to the hot tub, I would have been eaten by a bear or murdered in some other way. I was terrified. So so I have a little bit of that irrational fear too, Carrie, which my question is, why do you and your husband live in a house then? Why don't you live in a place that you would both feel comfortable in, like a row house, a condo, a townhouse, something that you don't have to be alone in a house in because I don't know. I, I feel like maybe that's an easy fix. Just don't live in a standalone house. But maybe that's not an easy fix. I don't know. Maybe that's a really hard fix now that I think about it. That's, Move that's to a... Queens. That's the, that's the fix. You'll never be alone again. You never will be alone. Um, that's – I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, well, Kristen – what are you going to recommend to Carrie? I hope it's not a home invasion film. <laughs> I was considering that briefly. I was. I, I was. But then I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be nice to you, Carrie. I don't want to give you a movie that's going to give you more nightmares than you're already having. I'm going to prescribe Monsters Incorporated from Aww. 2001. Oh, that's a good one. Or is it just called is it just called Monsters Inc or is it Monsters Incorporated? I think it's called Monsters Inc. Okay, all right. So that's what I'm prescribing, Monsters Inc. Okay. And I think most of us know this movie. It's a Pixar film starring the voices of John Goodman, Billy Crystal, Steve Buscemi, Mary Gibbs, and Jennifer Tilly, and it tells the story of two monsters named Mike and Sully who work as professional scarers. Their work entails entering children's bedrooms through their closets in the middle of the night and scaring them and the children's screams power monstropolis, which is where all the monsters live. Note, the children themselves are toxic to monsters. and that's right. And the monsters can't get too close to the children because, you know, they they don't want to be destroyed by the children. And uh, everybody in Monstropolis, other than the professional scarers, are actually really terrified of the children, which is why things get really interesting when a child accidentally ends up in Monstropolis after a scare session gone wrong. Here's a clip. What's this? Wazowski! Ah! (laughs) What do you know? It scares little kids and little monsters. I wasn't scared. I have allergies. <coughs> uh-huh, sure. Hey, Randall, save it for the scare floor, will you? I'm in the zone today, Sullivan. Gonna be doing some serious scaring, putting up some big numbers. Wow, Randall, that's great. That should make it even more humiliating when we break the record first. Ha <laughs> ha! Do you hear that? It's the winds of change. 
You hear it? You hear the wind? You mean, what a creep. One of these days, I am really going to let you teach that guy a lesson. Aw, Kristen, this is a really cute movie. Everyone loves this movie. It really is. It really is. Oh, my God. Watching Sully's fur. Yeah. It is just... <laughs> at the time, there'd never been computer animation like that. He's this furry blue monster. Right. And the way his fur moves in every scene is just mind-blowing. Right. But the reason I'm prescribing this movie is not because of the special effects, despite them being very good. The reason I'm prescribing it is because the message at the heart of it is really that a lot of things that scare us are completely made up. For example, are children really toxic to monsters? No, children aren't toxic to monsters. And do monsters actually really love scaring children? Not really. They're terrified of children. This is just their job. This is what they do for a living. (laughs) And when it comes to being murdered in your own home, I encourage you to do some things that Mike and Sully do. They approach their fears. They get to know what's real and what's not. And you just might find, if you do some of your own research, Carrie, that what you're scared of is not real. It's completely made up. For example, maybe this is not the most reassuring thing to say, but most people who are murdered in their own homes, which, by the way, is a very, very rare thing, are murdered by their spouses. Okay? (laughs) That's... I, I know that's not reassuring. That husband. I knew it. I knew there was something about that husband. And maybe now you can't sleep when your husband is home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, you're probably not going to have your home broken into and get murdered. You're going to have bigger risks in your life. Your dog <laughs> might eat your leg. God, I'm just making it worse. I'm not going to say anything else. But maybe when you do more research, you'll also learn about, you know, how you can maybe configure your furniture differently so your bedroom feels less scary, you know. Uh, there's been a lot of research done on where bed placement is versus door placement and mirror placement and so on. Maybe you can do things like that. Um, start your journey, though, with Monsters Incorporated because I just think it's a really sweet place to start that reminds us all that, We're all scared of things, and it's okay to laugh at what we're scared at. And the more we learn, the less scary things get. Well, Kristen, that's a really nice recommendation, and it makes me feel kind of bad about the recommendation I chose. Um, Even though I'm kind of along the same lines as you, I think we're going to arrive at the same place, but um, I chose It. What? The Stephen King movie from 2017. (laughs) Excuse me? Can you say that one more time? Okay, bear with me. Bear with me. It? Um, Did I hear you correctly? Yes. Yes, it. No. The one about Pennywise the Clown. Oh, and that fucking balloon and the... Yes. Oh, and the gutters, the fucking sewer system. the rain gutters. No, Rafer. Oh. Okay, now hear me out. Hear me out. No, this movie (laughs) gave me nightmares. Or was it the TV miniseries when I was a kid? It was a TV miniseries? Yeah. Do you know how long I had nightmares from that? Oh, Rafer. Oh, God. Hold on. Are you prescribing the movie that I grew up with that was on TV, or are you prescribing, like, in the theaters, the movie from a few years ago? I'm prescribing the the theatrical release, not the miniseries. Although I know that people, a lot of people think that the miniseries is the sort of definitive it. Mm-hmm. Um, listen, here's why I'm suggesting this. It's a complicated story, but I'll boil it down as quickly as I can. You got basically seven kids who live in this little town in Maine called Derry. And something is very wrong with this town. Children seem to go missing a lot. And no one seems to really do anything about it. And the hero is this little kid named Bill, kind of a shy kid, who gets a glimpse of what's going on when his little brother, Georgie, 
is snatched up by Pennywise the Clown. This is the famous uh, opening scene with the rain gutter, the one that Kristen was talking about. You've probably seen it in the trailers. Very scary. Well, it turns out that Pennywise doesn't just want to prey on you. He really wants to prey on your fears. And so when he comes after you, he takes the shape of whatever it is that you fear the most. So Bill and his friends form a club. They call themselves the Losers Club to try to defeat Pennywise. Here's a clip. Look, everywhere it happens, it's it's all connected by the sewers. And they all meet up at the, the house on Nebel Street. It's worse with a clown. I'm not doing this. What the hell? Put the map back. <laughs> what happened? It's too scary. It's too scary. Why would you prescribe this? (laughs) Why? Why? Oh, Carrie, I don't know if you should listen to Rafer. You sound just like Count Floyd. Don't listen. Don't don't watch it, kids. Oh, it's too scary. Okay. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm not going to be dismissive. I'm sorry. I I am only kind of being serious here. I understand. Tell us, Rafer. I'm sure you have a reason for this. I'm sure you have a reason. I do have a reason. Why should Carrie watch it? I do have a reason. Uh, first of all, I think it works pretty well as a horror movie. Sophia Lillis, who uh, the girl in the movie, she plays the only girl in the group. I think she's great. She, she has got a certain something, and I haven't seen her in that much else, but I, I still have this feeling like she's going to be the next big thing. I just I think she's she's really good. But I like this idea of the clown that takes the form of your fear. You know, one kid is afraid of diseases. One kid is afraid of fire. The Sophia Lillis character is afraid of blood. Uh, Bill, of course, the hero, he's afraid of the ghost of his dead brother because he feels a lot of guilt about it. But there's a second level to this, which is, why are you afraid of that thing? You know, this kid who's afraid of diseases, so Pennywise takes the form of this rotting kind of, you know, leper-type, you know, animated corpse thing, which is scary, but it's not everyone else's deepest fear. It's only this kid's deepest fear. So why is he afraid of that? I feel like you've got to ask yourself, why are you afraid of this particular thing? You can't just stop at the fear and say like, well, I have this fear and that's kind of the way I am. Why do you have it? What happened? Where did it come from? Mm. What caused this Mm. fear? And this movie doesn't have anything to do with sleep in particular. I know the way that Monsters, Inc. does. But I just feel like it's kind of asking you to go to a little deeper, go to that second level and ask yourself why, why you have this, where you got this fear and what does it really mean? I mean, I know it's on the one hand rational. It's not like you have a fear of, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, demons or aliens or something a little kind of out there. I mean, it's a somewhat rational, plausible fear, but it's also somewhat irrational in that it's keeping you up at night. And like you say, Kristen, this never really happens. People very, very infrequently just break into a person's home and kill someone. It pretty much never happens. So that's what I'm saying. Where I would like to know where that fear 
comes from. And I'm just thinking that maybe this movie, It, could stir some stuff up inside you and make you think about that. After that, I would suggest going to see an actual show. But this might, I think, at least be a good start to kind of get you to question where where is all this coming from? Where did it all start? Oh, Rafer, that is such good advice. That is so good because um, I, I feel like what I'm trying to do with our letter writer here is to, you know, learn coping mechanisms, to learn facts and so on. But what you're doing is advising her to learn more about herself and where the fear comes from. And I think that's going to go a lot further than my suggestion, actually. I, th- I think I think those are two actually very good very good approaches. I think the, maybe these are good complementary approaches. You know, try one, try the other, you know, take them in tandem and, uh, you know, maybe maybe something good will come of it. Hmm. Well, I hope so, Carrie. So once again, those recommendations are from Rafer, the 2017 film version of It and from me, Monsters, Inc. All right. We're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, Thanks to everyone who's reviewed and rated us with five stars in Apple Podcasts. For instance, Aaron Peddles recently gave us five stars and wrote, Kristen and Rafer give the kindest, most empathetic advice, and they pair it with a movie. Love this podcast. Definitely one of my all-time faves. Oh, thank you so much, Aaron Pedals. And Pedals is spelled like those things on bikes. So I know. I hope that means that you are riding your bike and you're all happy and you have an earbud in one ear and you're listening to us, but maybe not listening in the other ear so you can, you know, keep an eye on traffic so you don't get hit by a car. We don't want you to get hit by a no, car. No. No. <laughs> all right. Stay with us. When we're back, we'll have our What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. All right. We are back with our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Rafer, take it away. Okay. This one comes from Wilderness Wannabe. I'm almost positive that's not the person's real name. (laughs) Wilderness Wannabe says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, three of my favorite movies are Edie, Wild, and Tracks. All three feature women who go off into the wild and have some sort of cathartic experience as they brave nature and achieve their goals. I used to spend more time in nature, but for the last eight years, my migraines and headaches have been chronic, so I never feel like I'm able to follow in their footsteps and head out on a solo nature experience of my own. I spend a lot of time watching TV and movies when I'm feeling bad on the couch, and these three movies always comfort me and make me feel like someday I might be able to do what they've done. My question is, what should I watch next? Do you have other movies or TV shows that show women going on wild nature trips that you can recommend? Bonus, if the person has any kind of life obstacle that they have to overcome before they finally get to fulfill their dreams, as is the case in Edie. Oh, well, Wilderness Wannabe, I love this letter because it is so different from me. I have zero desire to go off into the wilderness by myself. (laughs) Is that true? (laughs) Oh, God, please don't let me out into the wilderness by myself. Somebody will murder me, right? I guess you were just saying, yeah, you can't even be in a hot tub. So that's... (laughs) That says something. (laughs) But I love getting letters like this because it gives me, you know, a little glimpse into someone else's mind, somebody who actually wants to do this stuff. I never, ever, ever want to do this. I don't want to be on the, what's that called? The Pacific Coast Trail or whatever it was in Wild. Yeah, that's right. Pacific, yeah, that's right. Yeah, don't want to do that. Definitely don't want to do any of those things by myself. If I'm going to do them, I want to be with like a friend or three. Yeah, not by myself. I hear you. Yeah. I hear. I was just camping with some uh, friends at a little campsite that is... um, 
I'm going to say about a five minute walk from the parking lot. <laughs> and that was just perfect for me. <laughs> ideal, ideal camping experience in my book. I'm the same way as you, Kristen. Oh my gosh. Did you have to dig a hole in the ground to pee and poo? Or please say there were toilets nearby. There's a toilet right at the parking lot. That's the best part. Oh my God. It, yes. This is the kind of camping I can do. It was literally <laughs> any, everything was there except for like electricity and Wi-Fi. You just, all you had to do is like, well, I guess I better go down to the car and get some more beer, haul it, haul it back up to the tent. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. Oh, that's that's my kind of camping. Uh, but that's not what Wilderness Wannabe wants, right? Right? Uh, I think that's right. I think she wants something a little more, uh, a little more intense, a little, something a little more authentic. Yes. So, Rafer, what are you going to prescribe Wilderness Wannabe to watch next? Well, this might not be exactly what she's looking for. But I'm going to prescribe a little movie from about four or five years ago, from 2016, that I liked quite a bit. It's called The Shallows with Blake Lively. Do you know this movie? Oh, no, I don't know this. I do like Blake Lively, though. I've prescribed movies of hers on the show before. So That's right. You prescribed uh, A Simple Favor. Yes, yes. Right. So what what is The Shallows? Okay, so uh, Blake Lively plays a woman named Nancy Adams. She's on vacation in Mexico, and she's having kind of a rough time. Uh, her mom has died, and Nancy was a med school student, but she has dropped out. So she's on this sort of vacation-slash-escape-from-life trip, and she hears about this secluded beach that's great for surfing. So she takes her board, and she goes down there, and it's great. Everything people said it was, until... A great white shark knocks her off her board, takes a bite out of her leg, and corners her on a little tiny rock that's just barely poking out of the water. So now Nancy is stranded on this rock. She's just about a few yards from the shore. She can see it. She can see her stuff still sitting on the sand. If and when anybody ever passes by, she can see them. She can wave to them. She can see these people. But that shark is circling, and there's no way a human being can swim to shore faster than a great white so, now what? Here's a clip. Stop! Stop! Get out of the water! Get out of the water! Get out! Stop! Go back! Shark! Stop! Is this going to be like the 127 hours where she chops off her leg, throws it in the water to distract the shark, and then swims back to shore? That's a brilliant idea. Only you would think of that, Kristen. That, I, no spoiler, that's not what happens. Okay, um, okay. <laughs> but I do like I do like this movie. I guess it's what uh, it's what stage actors would call a two hander, right? Mm -hmm. It's a play with just two actors, Blake Lively and a shark, and that's really it. Um, <laughs> and I like this director a lot. Um, I think I've talked about him on the podcast before. I think his name is Jaume Colesera. He's Spanish. I think it might be Catalan, and he likes to do these very tight little claustrophobic 
thrillers. Uh, he did two with Liam Neeson, Nonstop, which takes place on the jet in midair, of and then course. The Commuter, yeah. which takes place on the train. Both very fun because, you know, you want to see every possible thing that a person can do in this really small, limited, confined space. And here, it's a rock. It's a rock that's about like, I don't know, three feet by three feet. I mean, she's just, she, I mean, if she lets her toes dangle in the water, she's toast. There's really nowhere for this woman to go, but somehow she's got to get back to shore or she is going to die and be eaten by this shark. And so there you have it. That's it. It's woman versus nature. It's a fun, light little thriller. There's some blood, not too much. Over and done in 86 minutes. It barely even counts as a feature film. It's not even an hour and a half. It's practically the length of an after-school special. And it's a lot of fun <laughs> and enjoyable. It doesn't tax your brain. And I always like this movie. So that's why I'm recommending it. Wow. That sounds great, Rafer. It does. And is it, it is. really a two-hander? Does the shark speak English? The shark does not speak English. But <laughs> I guess it's just a one-hander. There are, there's a couple of other little a couple of other little people that sort of come in and out. But it's really just... It's really just Blake Lively and that goddamn shark. That's it. <laughs> so, Kristen, what about you? All right. I am going to recommend a movie that came out within the past year called Nomadland. Oh, sure. Now, I think a lot of us know about Nomadland now because it was a darling of the film festival circuit. It won a lot of awards, including Oscars. Yep. And Nomadland stars Frances McDormand as a woman in her 60s who, after losing everything in the Great Recession, leaves her home in Nevada and lives as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. Along the way, she spends time in Arizona, South Dakota, and California. She works seasonal jobs. She meets new friends and visits them. She sleeps in parking lots. She explores the Badlands. She attends the Desert Rendezvous, where nomads from around the country meet each other to build community and share tips. She does it all in a great exploration of herself and the bigger world that her van can go to. Here's a clip. So... I was getting close to 62, and I went online to look at my Social Security benefit. It said $550. And I had worked my whole life. I'd worked since I was 12 years old, raised two daughters. I couldn't believe it. So I'm online, and I find Bob Wells' cheap RV living. I could live in an RV, travel and not have to work for the rest of my life. The RTR is a boot camp for beginner nomads. Bob Wells looks just like Santa Claus. Doesn't he? Everybody says that. (laughs) What's RTR stand for? Rubber Tramp Rendezvous. It is in Quartzsite, Arizona, out in the middle of the desert on BLM land. You should come. I'm going to make you a map. No, I don't think I'm going to go. Oh, I hope you come. I'm going to make you a map anyway. So that's what the RTR is. Well, you're right. This movie was a huge hit. And in a very weird Oscar year, it was the it was the front runner, pretty much. Um, I think everybody knew it was going to win Best Picture, which it did. But what surprised me was that uh, Frances McDormand uh, won Best Actress. I think there was people thought it was going to be Carrie Mulligan for uh, mm-hmm. Promising Young Woman. People thought it might be Viola Davis. Uh, Frances McDormand is great, well-deserved. But it was a little bit of a surprise. But here's my question for you, Kristen. Is this a wilderness movie? It kind of is, I guess. There is a lot of nature. She is alone, too. A lot. 
Yes. I mean, when I think of wilderness, I often think of, you know, go west, young man. And she is in the west the entire time in this movie. True. You know, you're seeing the mountains, you're seeing the forest, you're seeing the deserts, you're seeing it all. And, you know, this isn't quite the wilderness, I'm guessing, that our letter writer wanted. But I really love it because... Unlike so many other modern wilderness movies, this isn't about a rich person who's just like going on an extended vacation. This isn't somebody like, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert who had a book contract before she decided to eat, pray, love. I was going to say, who on earth could you be talking about, Christian? (laughs) This isn't about rich people climbing Everest because it makes their ego feel good. Right. Nomadland is much closer to what the rest of us are like, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and barely getting by and where one wrong move can really hurt us. And there is definitely a story here because our letter writer wanted our person to have to overcome something. And what Frances McDormand's character is overcoming is really grief in a lot of ways. And uh, the loss of what used to be and figuring out what's going to happen next and how much she needs and how much she doesn't need. And, you know, you see her have relationships with different people who are also nomads and you get a glimpse of what they're going through as well. It's a really really beautiful, powerful movie. And I hope that you check it out because uh, as Ray first said, Frances McDormand is really good in this movie. And she somehow, even though she's very quiet in this movie, can relay a million emotions just by, you know, raising her eyebrows or moving her head in a certain way. She's just terrific in this movie. Yeah, she's great. And it's also really interesting that all the, uh, or well, many, if not most of the other nomads in the film are actual nomads. They're not professional actors. Um, They're just, they are people from the actual nomad community. The the leader of the nomad community is, uh, that's actually who he is. He is that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's almost got a little bit of a, not really, but it's almost got a documentary feel to it here and there, Mm -hmm. you know? And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. And they're playing versions of themselves. And it's based on a book that really was like a research book. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just a novel or whatnot. So I definitely think it's worth checking out. And it is absolutely heartbreaking and beautiful. And it made me think for a really long time after I saw it. I I really sat with the movie afterwards. So again, that is Nomadland and from Rafer, The Shallows. Gee, Kristen, I think that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Yes, it is. It's time to go to the parking lot and go to the bathroom and get a beer. <laughs> that's <right. laughs> because that's the furthest we're going to go into the campground. I've done that. That's the only time I'm doing that this year. Once a year. That's all I do. Uh, thanks to everyone who wrote in. We really appreciate it. And thanks also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we're so thrilled to be a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Ben Franklin's World for all of you his history buffs like me. I'm a history buff. And of course, check out the projection booth. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye-bye.